Welcome to the Human Resources for Small Business podcast, presented by Zenium HR. I'm your host, Brandon Laws. Whether you're an HR professional or a small business leader, each episode of this podcast is designed to bring you the latest in technical HR and leadership at your convenience. More content is available on our website at www.zeniumhr.com. Let's dive into today's topic. Welcome to the HR for Small Business podcast. My name is Brandon Laws. Today I have Tyler Mavison with me. He's a returning guest. Tyler, hey, what's up? Good to be back. We're going to talk book club. Book club. Joy we, Inc. We read a book called Joy Inc., as you just mentioned. It was written by a guy named Richard Sheridan. He is the owner and founder of a company called Menlo Innovations, and they're mm-hmm. a bunch of programmers, uh, software developers, and they have quite an interesting workplace. Very they? interesting, yeah. What did you think of the book? For one, how, how it was written and a lot of the storytelling that he has. You know, I, I thought this was a, a unique... A unique take on a, on a kind of a business book. You know, I've you know, been a part of the book club for a few years now, and it was kind of a little bit different uh, than the normal fare that we've been uh, listening to. So I thought the content was great. There's lots of useful nuggets in there and tidbits, and, and it's just a really interesting perspective on how to run a company, you know, how to, you know, run a business and, and create a company culture. Yeah, and he's been he's been at companies where wasn't such a good culture. It was very hierarchical, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then he's running his own company, and he yeah. just totally flips it on its head. It's a very flat organization. Yeah, the way they their their workplace is very different. And in this book, he talks about all those things. He basically it's kind of it's kind of a funky. The way it's written, it's, it's a little different because it's not, you know how you're used to business books where they're like bullet points. Sure. Yeah. It's very methodical. The run through the objective base. Yeah. It's, it just, it's really boring. The way he writes it is very much a storytelling situation. Mm-hmm. And you kind of spends each chapter on a different part of the business, whether it's like the work environment or seating arrangement or the building itself or yeah. company philosophies. Yeah. Not policies. I mean, he doesn't. Yeah. I mean, policies. He's not really for. But yeah. So let's start start talking about the the work atmosphere in general. Yeah. Because I thought that was probably the, one of the most interesting. It's, things. It almost seems like it's like chaos reigns there. It's <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like everybody's talking. You know, they don't. They outlaw. You know, headphones. They, they want that kind of commotion. They want that kind of a collaborative yeah. atmosphere. Which, um, I thought was very striking to read that in the book and very different from like the cubicle. Yeah, very different. And it's kind of very different than how you perceive normal office operations, you know, at a company, you know, it's kind of flipped it on its head. So it's, uh, it's a very unique approach. Talk about the, the no headphones thing. Yeah. So I mean, I think his, 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 his theory is that, you know, headphones create siloing with individuals and you get your own headspace, you kind of, tune out from the rest of the, the team. And he's very much team environment. He, he wants you to be collaborating, engaging, with other, engaging other people, working with other people, because I think he feels that that's, that builds the most development and, and, and growth. 
And, you know, I can, I can see it at the same time, you know, for me, I, I enjoy listening to headphones because I think I can kind of develop my own rhythm in, in the music, but I can, I understand his point as well. I yeah. think it definitely kind of silences It's people. a little different in their environment. They're working in pairs. Yeah. And we'll talk about that in a second, but go back to the no headphones thing. When you're working in pairs, you really can't wear headphones. Yeah, you can't. Because yeah. of the, then how do you communicate with other yeah, people? exactly. The other thing that's interesting just about the work environment is he, he's talking about like if you're going to talk to somebody or try to get somebody's attention, you're like basically yelling across. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's a very open environment. Yeah. So yeah. They're, you're like yelling across the table to somebody else and yeah. as people are working. So the way he described it is that it gets loud. It's almost like a an aura of like yeah. loudness and but the energy picks up because of yeah. it, and that was sort of intentional. Yeah, I I, I like that. I like that too. I mean, it definitely kind of like the vibrance versus silence type of nature. When you go into a uh, an office and everything's just pitch quiet, it's like silence. Yeah, yeah. you kind of you hear a pin drop. You, you could hear a pin drop. You kind of get that eerie feeling. Ooh, like this is this is some real serious stuff going on here. But if you have like more vibrant vocal uh, engaging after maybe take it back at first, but you kind of get the feeling like, you know, things are happening here. There's, there's movement. There's, you know, there's excitement. You know, there's a lot of cultural stuff going on. So I think that's, I, I like that aspect of it. And speaking of culture, their, their environment's a little unique in the sense that there's babies at times. <laughs> there's, I think there's dogs and yeah. 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 it's just, it's a different environment. It is very different. I, I, I to some, you know, to me, that I find that a little bit distracting, but I mean, it's working over there. I mean, and, and a lot of the other companies, it it, it will kind of br- brings a more personal sense to the work that you do, and that you don't have to, you know, divide your time between working on, you know, a certain aspect and getting stressed out and not having to losing focus on your on your personal matters. But here, you have kind of like a calming, like, oh, we're bringing dogs, we're bringing babies, we're bringing this kind of thing that can kind of this kind of bring you back to reality, you know, the cultural side of it. But I think it's, it's very interesting. <laughs> There's like a whole section dedicated to the working in pairs and the mm-hmm. reasoning behind it. Can you just talk about that a little bit, what the thinking behind that was? Sir, I think it kind of stems from his, his uh, kind of theory on the towers of knowledge where you have a lot of companies have these individuals who are so pivotal to the company. They have the information you know, they, they hold the very critical information. And so, you know, you, your company needs them in order to operate successfully. And um, I think the working in pairs is kind of a way to kind of circumvent that and kind of say, okay, well, we want to share the knowledge. We want to share the, the wealth of information that's that's being held versus here. Versus being in one first, person's versus hands. Versus being in holding, one person's hands. the company hostage. Mm-hmm. So you, you got these teams of subject matter expert, experts and then they're passing their knowledge on and then it's kind of like a, like a fluid uh, cycle, you know, where you can learn from new people. And I think they change out partners or teams like every week and they kind of bring in new people or maybe two yeah, that's weeks. That's what it sounded like every week or two. Mm-hmm. So they're working on projects and then yeah. they're just constantly rotating. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that is a way to kind of combat the whole tower of knowledge, which it seems, seems to plague like a lot of companies. Yeah. I mean, I could just think back in, in my work history and the towers of knowledge is a real, it's a real problem. Oh yeah. Because there are some people that could be so good at what they do, but nobody else knows how to do it. And the mm-hmm. reason why is because that person maybe works in a silo or they're the only 
they're one of like a very unique role. And so they don't have anybody to share that knowledge with. And that's partly, you know, maybe that person's issue with not being able to train others. But more importantly, it's probably just the setup of the company yeah. and the fact that they don't work in pairs or they yeah. don't have multiple people. In is, the is there an opportunity or options for that individual to share their knowledge? I mean, a lot of companies, they don't. They kind of pigeonhole that person into you know, into one area and say, hey, he's just gonna, he's just going to do the, his job because he has that knowledge. We're not going to share that that knowledge with anybody else because that's that's really his his business, his job. Which, and the, and the reason I think their culture is so vibrant based on you know, of course, this guy is the one that's describing it. But the reason it seems so vibrant is because of the the professional development opportunities mm-hmm. that exist. I don't know about you, Tyler, but I love having opportunities to learn. I think that's what engages me and makes me passionate about what I'm doing. And those opportunities to learn are, you know, I either have to go out and find it on my own or if, you know, my employer puts me in a position to where I could do a mentorship program or I can pair up with somebody Mm -hmm. and kind of shadow them or in this case, or book, yeah, book club too. I mean, we're talking about this right now, right? And hopefully other people are, are learning a little bit mm-hmm. about the culture just from listening to this podcast. But, but I thought, I think it's very unique the way this, this, um, uh, Richard, uh, Sheridan is doing this mm-hmm. as a CEO. He's putting people in pairs and he's saying, okay, you work on a project, you're working with, with two mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. and you're going to share, you're going to share that knowledge back and forth. You're going to figure out solutions to problems yeah. and you're going to rotate. Yeah, see how, see how it goes. And, so interesting. <laughs> I think it can work. And and he's not and he's not afraid to try it out. I know he, he mentions like in the book simple experiments. You know, it, it's kind of pitched to you know everybody else is hey just try it out. You know, try it for a week too. If it doesn't work, then it doesn't work. You can move on to something else. But what's the what's the harm in trying a small experiment where you're working in teams or working in group or having an open office environment where people can, you know, bring in their pets. They can share their lives outside of work because who knows, maybe that'll, that'll gel something and, you know, it'll, it'll be a catalyst to new development and other employees. I mean, who knows? Yeah. You, you don't know until you try it. So the inter- you know, I, when I was reading this, I'm sort of thinking in my head, like I'm pushing back on the argument for working in pairs and just the environment mm-hmm. in general. I mean, I'm a skeptic when it comes to yeah. some, some new things, but then I'm open to them. In this case, I was like, okay, well, if they're working in pairs, doesn't that increase the cost of doing whatever <laughs> business? Yeah. And the answer is yes, I think to a certain extent, like, yeah. especially if there's something new. The He even said in the book that the clients are well aware that they're working in pairs, but I think the solution long-term is that they learn mm-hmm. through rotating that the pairs actually work faster and more efficiently long-term yeah. because they can get things done either faster or they've been through a situation to where they already have that knowledge. Yeah, yeah. So they don't have to like try to go to an external resources because mm-hmm. they've worked in those situations to where now they have the knowledge to do it. So overall, I think long-term, you know, short-term, Raises costs for sure. Yeah. Long term, though, and now I think, you have knowledge. Yeah. I think he wants employers to kind of view it. And, you know, it's a, it's a long term kind of deal. I mean, yeah, you can try it out, see how it goes. There's going to be some some costs up front and, and changing the way it's it's uh, operating that way. But you know, long term, you want the long term benefits for your employees, long term benefits for your company. So um, I think the long term benefits outweigh the short term costs. There, there's some really cool 
things in the book. And the one that kind of stuck out to us as we were kind of talking about this before we started recording was the, the age old mantra of the customer's always <laughs> yeah. right. Talk about that and what he said about that. Well, it's, I think when he was speaking about the, um, the customer's always right, you know, oftentimes with a business, we're, out, we're so geared towards customers. You know, what, what is the, the customer wants, the customer gets. A lot of times though, the customer doesn't know what they want. They're coming to you to seek that, that, that kind of guidance of what they, what they want, what they need. And it's up to you as an employer to kind of give that to them. So yeah. you have, you and have as a service provider. Yeah, yeah. As a service provider, you're the one who has that, that, that knowledge, that, that power. So the customer is not always right in that instance because they don't really know what they want until you can help them guide them into that, yeah. that path. And I think that's what working in, like working in pairs and just the, mm-hmm. the environment they have set up, it is conducive to figuring out what the customer needs because if they're listening to the customer's needs and what their kind of vision is, even though if it's very vague, these people have been through enough situations mm-hmm. that, you know, the programmers, right? So there's, there's how many different languages to, to oh, program yeah. in? There's tons, right? Yeah. But he even said in the book, they're going to do, they're going to do whatever language is conducive to getting the job done the right way mm-hmm. based on what they think the, the client wants. So yeah. I thought that was pretty interesting. And it, I Definitely mean, that, that holds a lot of weight, I yeah. think. So yeah, I mean, there's, there's some other parts in the book too. It talks about purpose and passion quite a bit yes. in the book. I remember one section where he's talking about Samuel Langley. Do you remember the story? Yeah, the Wright Brothers versus yeah, Langley. So there's yeah, so there's a back in the oh, 30s, 1930s. Oh, yeah, it, it maybe earlier. Really, yeah. I can't even remember what, what date it was. But basically, the Samuel Langley and the Wright Brothers are sort of like, I mean, they're trying to figure out how to fly. The difference was Samuel Langley had a ton of capital yep. from, I think, backing of the, of the government. Mm-hmm. And the Wright brothers just had a, a passion for trying to figure out how to fly and just sort yeah. of tinkered and probably did all that stuff. Well, the difference, the according, you know, in the book that he says the Wright brothers wanted to fly and Langley was trying to build an airplane. Yeah. So there's yeah. a difference because, yeah. you know, trying to build something, it may not even work or be, yeah. um, you know, the outcome isn't, Necessarily, it, yeah. It, it seemed, like, to his point in the book, you know, Langley was going about it the wrong way. He wanted the, he wanted the glory, the accolades from developing the first plane. You know, I want, I want that kind of recognition for, you know, building the first plane. The Wright brothers like, I want to fly. Yeah, I want to be able to fly. Yeah, and I, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't put like a monetary value on it. I don't want to make X amount of dollars from my invention or. From, well, I want, you know, praise to, to us for, you know, venting this thing. They just wanted to, yeah. they just want to see if they could do it and they exactly. wanted to fly. So, I mean, I, you know, draw a lot of comparisons right now. I'm, re- I mentioned earlier, I'm reading the Elon Musk biography oh, yeah. that just came out. And there's very similar, there's a lot of parallels to that, you know, the, the story we just told about mm-hmm. Langley versus the Wright brothers and that Elon Musk, he went through a lot of struggles, but he, his vision is, basically to colonize solar system. Yeah. <laughs> colonize Mars first, I think is really what he wants to do. But he created SpaceX to yeah. try to get to that. But there's all these steps along the way, but every step that he's doing isn't to build a mm-hmm. rocket. Yeah. It's to it's to get to Mars yeah. and to put people on Mars. Whether it's colonizing it or just just to get there to say we did it. But yeah. he has to do all these things because that's the purpose at the end is to mm-hmm. You know, whether he wants to be recognized for it or you just think it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, it's just very interesting. Like to go about your work 
because of passion and purpose is very different than just going to work and, and doing your job. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think in Joy, Joy Inc's uh, instance, you know, it's, you should do what you, what you love to do. You should have that passion that it should be infused in your culture. Cause that's, you know, that's the way your company is going to grow, you know, r- rather than, you know, doing it for you know, some kind of gain, some monetary gain or some. Nothing record. wrong with that. Nothing that. wrong with it, but there's nothing wrong with it. But I think you might, you might learn a little bit more from going sure. at it from a passion point of view. Yeah. Um, so I definitely like that passion versus purpose yeah. kind of, uh, it's funny because analogy. one of the books we read, probably six months ago, maybe a year ago, was Start With Why by mm-hmm. Simon Sinek. And he even mentions that book in this. It's just that book um, is everywhere in terms of like mm-hmm. a lot of these innovative thinkers with, with business leaders, they are starting with passion. Mm-hmm. They're starting with the why. Like, why are we doing what we're doing? Yeah. This book, so Simon Sinek's book, Start With Why, is all about like, why you should do it. Mm-hmm. This guy puts it into practice. So he basically yeah. takes what Simon Zink did and actually gives it all to you in a tactical level. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Is yeah. No, that I agree. What you think? No, I completely agree. Um, and, and back to the earlier point, it's like if, when you go with, about something with passion point of view, after you do that, you know, the, the accolades will come, you know, it's like if you're doing it for the passion, if you have that as your kind of integral purpose, I mean, that's then things will come naturally after that. Yeah. I think that's, you could start with the purpose. I mean, start with the passion and the purpose. Do you remember going back to the people, because that's what really makes up the company. Do you remember the story about the person that was interviewing yes. with the, the yeah. CEO? He talked about how another employee of the company referred somebody in and mm-hmm. went through the interview process. It was going great. There, This guy was a perfect fit for the company. About halfway through, just something was off, like yeah. something wasn't right. Mm-hmm. And the guy says, I think, he, I think he even calls him out and says, what, you know, this is going so well, what, what's going on? What went wrong here? And the candidate says, look, if I wanted to do what I was doing at my old job and, you know, make just a few more bucks, mm-hmm. I'd probably, you know, I'd probably just stay where I'm at and yeah. doing the same thing over and over. But he's like, I heard that you guys are, you guys are doing innovative things or I, I want to do something that I'm passionate about or that's mm-hmm. going to make a difference. And mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. And I, and I think it, you know, a lot of times employers, they kind of, when they see a resume, they kind of make hiring decisions based off of, you know, their, the criteria they, they pitch in the resume, you know, line item by a line item, you know, I have a BA and so and so. You know, I have this X amount of experience in this program, this, but they never really talk about their passions and how they're, how they're, how they fit culturally, like how the, how the individual, individual relaxes and around others and works with others. I think that could, that's starting to become more and more commonplace now is they're hiring more on cultural fit rather than the line item. Okay. I have a BA kind of fit there. Uh, that that criteria. I think it's more culturally focused now. And I think that's where it should go because you can always teach skills, but you can't really teach how someone can interact with others. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I feel like they have, they probably have a set of criteria that they're looking for. Somebody sure. obviously who's a good culture fit, but somebody yeah. who's willing to learn. Yeah. Willing because, to learn. Yeah. Because that's what their, their foundation is on like yeah. pairing up so they can learn a bunch of exactly. new stuff. So yeah, I thought I thought it was pretty interesting, and the fact that they're they're leading with the culture part of it, 
I think um, that's the reason why they have so many people that are organically trying to to work for them. Mm-hmm. They built up. It sounds like a great employer brand. So yeah. we said in the book, like they have a new position open. They have fifty people lined out the door, like already yeah. ready to interview, and probably would be already good fits. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like people are self-selecting in that are really good fits, and they don't have to do a lot of recruiting, or they don't have to spend a lot of time on it. Yeah, and. Do you remember the other part where you talked about the turnover? The what, of the attrition, yeah. Yeah, attrition. He said it's it's not a bad thing. Yeah. And we would normally think in HR like, oh, we need our turnover rate to, to keep... be, you know, at this level. Yeah. Or, you know, try to reduce the mm-hmm. their turnover rate, but he's he's saying, you know, there's a healthy amount of turnover that that's good mm-hmm. because some people are just not a fit for the company. Yeah. And and you do want people to leave mm-hmm. because of that, but yeah, I don't know where I sit on that. It's just, it's interesting. Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting too. I mean, yeah, I'm kind of on the fence with, you know, you always want to keep your attrition as low as possible. I mean, or turnover as low as possible, excuse me. So, I mean, it's, but at the same time, you also want to give the employee the chance to make the decisions. And if, if they don't feel like they're a fit and they want to try something else and, and, yeah. and grow from it, that's, that's good. That's yeah. good because they're, they're going to grow from that experience. I have a quote for you. I'm going to read mm-hmm. it straight from the book. Some of the worst cultures I have come to know are those from which no one ever leaves. Low attrition is not a sign of a healthy culture. Remember, not many people left East Berlin before the Iron Curtain fell. When it was time, they were all ready to leave with sledgehammers. Ironically, in a low attrition culture, the highest paid people are likely the ones who tried to leave and were walled in with a counter offer they couldn't refuse. They're still trapped. Higher pay doesn't erase that feeling. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Very powerful, right? That was, that was a powerful there, analogy. There's some truth. There's <laughs> yeah. some that's very yeah. powerful, but there, there's some truth to, to that because you can get sucked into staying in a place you're not even happy. You're not yeah. passionate about it anymore. Yeah. You don't have, you're not aligned with the business objectives anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's when it's probably time to leave. But to this, to the, the quote's point, higher pay can yeah. keep you it's, there. But it's like, you know, who's that benefiting? Like, you know, I mean, is it, is it, is it really benefiting the employee? I, I, I would make a no, case. If they're no, unhappy. If they're unhappy. Then they're unhappy. And, and how do you become your best self at work when you're not even passionate about what you're doing yeah. and you're walled exactly. in, so to speak? I, I think at, at that point, it's like, you know, you let them, you know, you let them make the decision if they want to venture outside of the company and let them do so. I think that in the case there, they had, they actually did that with one of their employees and she had actually came, come back. Yeah. They did because she and many people do come back. And I think she kind of learned about, you know, learned more about herself, you know, well, I actually enjoyed my time at Menlo. I enjoyed this company. You know, there wasn't, there wasn't anything else like it out there. And I think that's, you got to let the employees make those decisions. You can't just keep making counter offer after counter offer to kind of hold them in if they're unhappy, because that's just going to create, for one, it's going to be bad for the company. For two, it's going to be bad for the employee. I think that's just, it, there's like a no-win situation there. Yeah. You know, as we kind of wrap up, I wanted to mention one more thing that I thought it was kind of interesting the way the book was written, is that very much storytelling, mm-hmm. very much uh, broken into parts that how he created his, his business uh, through people, recruiting, the the work environment, all those things it's all very much positive, right? And it's like, oh, here's what we did here. What's amazing. The last chapter is pretty interesting because he actually says, look, (laughs) not all this has worked. It's not all positive, right? We're still working on it. We're still want to learn and grow. And he just flat out says, 
here's where we're at with this. Here's what's going wrong, but we're trying to fix it. And he just basically gives out paragraphs of like what's yeah. still going wrong or what they're working yeah. on. I thought it was very I, I, admirable the way he he did that. Yeah. But you never thought it was coming until you get to the last <laughs> You're chapter. You're like, this is such a great, this, like, is, oh, such this, a, this is amazing. Let's, let's uh, I, you know, model our company right yeah. after this, oh, yeah. this one. And I think I love that, that, that sense of, um, you know, candor and, and transparency that he, he, you know, expresses in the last chapter. I think a lot of times with business books, you get an author writing a story about his company or his experience, but under the guise of some other fictional characters or a fictional storyline with some elements of truth. Here he kind of just says, this is what, this is what I'm, we're doing. You know, I'm laying it out here. Some of it's not working, but that's okay. We're going to, we're still growing. We're still developing. We're still learning. So I think I, I loved his, his, just his sense of um, just transparency in that. I like that a lot. Out of 10 stars, what do you give this book? Uh, you know, I <laughs> put you on the spot. Put me on the spot, but I, you know, I, I very rarely go for a business book. I very rarely go over an eight. I'm gonna give it a nine. Wow. Actually, I'm gonna give it a nine. I, I, I just thought it was just a very unique perspective on the way that they he's running his business and in the culture that they have. And I think that there's a lot of good information to take from it. A lot of good nuggets, like I mentioned earlier, and. It's it's worth the read. It's yeah, worth the read. Definitely. I definitely agree. Nine's pretty high. I'll go eight. Go eight. Yeah. yeah, it's it's good. Yeah. It's worth. It's it's a short read. It's quick read. Well worth the time. So again, this is Joy Inc. written by Richard Sheridan, and he's talking about his company Menlo Innovations. So definitely, I think we both agree mm-hmm. that you should definitely pick yeah. this up. It's actually what we did was we read the full thing. And then we discuss it as a group and we had about 12 people, I think, discuss the book. Mm-hmm. And that actually sparked a really good conversation because we talked about like what could work in our organization and what, you know, what are some things we could do differently? You know, what can't work? Yeah. You know, those sort of things just to keep the dialogue going about being open to change. I yeah. mean, I think that's what we're trying to do is we're trying to become great organizations, yeah. attracting great people and this is one of those books that I think just sparks a great dialogue. Yeah. Whether or not you take any of these practices and put it, yeah. you know, take the ideas, put them into practice, I think it just sparks a good conversation. Yeah. And it's definitely one that leaders and I think all the employees should read. Everyone. Everyone. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. Well, Tyler, uh, thanks for uh, being on the podcast. Next time we do another book, you're welcome to come uh, back. I'll be happy to. All right. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Human Resources for Small Business podcast. Subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our blog at www.zeniumhr.com forward slash blog and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn to hear about the latest in HR and leadership. The information on today's episode is for educational purposes only and should not be taken as legal or customized advice for you or your organization. This podcast is hosted and fully produced by Brandon Laws, that's me, and created and owned by Zenium Resources, Inc. For more information or to contact us, visit www.zeniumhr.com.